0: to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger.
1: And I'm Brian Lomax. And today, Josh and I are going to talk about how to integrate mental skills training into practice. Um, Obviously, when you're learning mental skills, it's going to be very similar to actually learning your physical skills. There's going to be a certain level of awkwardness to it, overthinking it a little bit. And it's not necessarily ideal to debut these things in actual competition, although I think – To a certain degree, it wouldn't necessarily hurt, but we want you to have some comfort level with these things and have them feel a little bit more natural and not so awkward to the point where you're overthinking. Um, And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about really how do we begin to work on these items in practice? What should we be working on in practice? How do we plan for what we're working on in practice? How do we evaluate? Um, And we're going to really touch on a whole bunch of topics as as we get into this. So I think the natural place to start off with, Josh, is this idea of being purposeful about our practice. Some people call it deliberate practice. A lot of this comes from the research of um, Anders Ericsson, who um, his research was um, what is probably been more popularized by Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers, and the whole 10,000-hour um, and Gladwell oversimplified what Erickson's work was about because he, looking at his his results, people could actually gain mastery in different number of hours depending on the complexity of the task as well as the, the person or the learner. So it actually went from as low as 4,000 to gain mastery is, and as high as 40,000 hours to gain mastery. So 10,000 is kind of like a nice general average there, but – um, the idea that Erickson was looking at is it's not just about practice, just showing up at practice and going through the motions. It's actually having some real purpose to what you want to do and then being really focused about that particular thing. Um, and so I think that's really the first point that we want to get to is how do we become more purposeful with our practice? How do we look at you know, even if it's with a lesson with a coach or a clinic, with a pro, um, or you're just hitting with a friend, how can you bring more, more purpose to that? So what are some things that you think about, Josh, when you're um, you know, helping students bring more purpose to their practice?
0: Yeah, I think there's a few different pieces to it. Um... I think having some goals is is definitely a critical piece. So going into that practice with um, some process goals for the day, uh, writing the writing those down ahead of time is uh, definitely definitely important. Um, but then just really trying to maintain that focus as you go, or uh, or at least noticing when that focus has drifted onto. Um, we, we've talked about uh, the awareness piece and mindfulness, um, but noticing if your focus is on something outside of you know outside of the present moment and being able to bring bring our focus back to that present moment time and time again. So I think uh, having goals is a big a big part of it. Um, being focused on the task at hand, on whatever. Um, the task of hand is in that moment. Um, also maybe having a plan for the practice. I think the, the coach certainly has um, a, a big role here and maybe even discussing that ahead of time with the student. Um, and then lastly, you know, really committing to, uh, the effort to really having that full effort as you're going, um, whether that means uh, moving your feet, um, if that's what what the focus is, um, or really on on the mental aspect of things, where um, maybe the effort needs to be on controlling the emotions, or the effort needs to be on some other mental aspect um, for that particular practice um so i I think there's there's definitely different pieces um in terms of making sure that practice is purposeful um such as having that plan going into it such as making sure that um the focus um if even if it does waver is brought back um time and time again and uh yeah i i think I, i think that the last piece the last piece is um is that that communication between the the player and the coach um to, to make, make sure that, that they have that common goal um, and to be able to to um, sort of be able to see the finish line or see where where you're trying to head with the skill. So if you're trying to practice, let's say, um, you know, at the approach shot, uh, this, this isn't just a player hitting approach shots time and time again. There's a progression that's taking place of, okay, are we maybe we're starting with feeding. Okay. Then we're putting it into, um, a a point situation, then we're keeping score. Um, but there's a progression that's taking place so that the, the student or the player understands that, um, why they're going about, uh, with that action. So it's purposeful and the, the communication piece is definitely emphasized.
1: And in a progression like that too, Josh, there's also, we want to make sure you're building in some feedback
0: Yes, absolutely. Right. So
1: some of that could be, yeah, the ball is going in, or it could be from the coach, you know, some feedback coming as, as you're working on these yep. things. Um, and when we're setting process goals, you know, we're, we're, obviously today talking more about integrating mental skills into practice, but process goals don't have to just be about mental skills, right? So like working on your approach shot could be something, um, working on certain aspects of your serve, you know, trying to increase accuracy of that, or simply working on first serve percentage, more pace, you know, there might be some physical process goals, of course. And I think the whole piece of, all right, why should we do this? I mean, I think the why should be, um, I could even refer back to Eric Buderak's TED Talk on, you know, dreaming small, the idea of 1% improvements, right? Can we leave the court 1% better? one great way to do that is to make sure that you're very specifically focused on certain aspects of your game. And we want to make sure that it's, I think, a, a pretty small number, right? Two to three things probably is the the most we should work at. Otherwise, we may be a little bit too generalized across the board. Um, so if we can be looking to get, you know, get a little bit better. I, I may have told this story before, too, Um one another great attitude I think that you can have with respect to purposeful practice is um, from the former uh, NFL head coach Herm Edwards and former defensive back for the Philadelphia Eagles in the book uh, Toughness by Jay Billis, who's a college basketball analyst for for ESPN, who's a great bas- college basketball player at Duke. Uh, in his book, he talks about Herm Edwards and his attitude toward practice, which was. What am I going to get from practice today? So going into it, knowing that these are the things that he wanted to get out of it, that he wanted to get from it. And he said that that attitude helped him become an all-pro NFL defensive back because the people that he was competing against, more often than not, their attitude was just getting through practice. So how many times have we all kind of felt like that? Hey, I just need to get through the next hour and a half or the next couple of hours. Or... We just show up at practice and just follow what the coach is doing. And it's not that we're going through, going through the motions. We're probably trying really hard, but we're not really focusing on in on on a, on an aspect of the game that we can really make 1% better that day. So I think that's, you know, one of the biggest reasons why we want to bring these process goals down. And I like how you said, you know, let's write these down beforehand. Um, that way. You know, I don't know if you do this, Josh, or if you have your, some of your players do this. It might even be helpful to look at it during practice, or like during breaks. I know that at some uh, clubs or academies, they may even have their players write down their specific practice goals on a whiteboard and go revisit those. Um, you know, so that they're up there, everybody sees them. You you made a great point about there. It's great if the coach and the player know what the player wants to work on. That way, they're in sync, um, and and the coach can really help with that. Um, so I think that these are some great reasons to be to be doing this and bringing that that level of focus. Otherwise, you know, what are we really bringing to that practice?
0: No, it's true. Um, and if we're let's say we're working on on a mental skill like like routines, for instance, and uh, implementing it, um, you know in between points using some sort of progression, like starting, starting small where maybe it's okay. Um, we're just going to feed a ball here. You're going to you know hit the shot. Then you're going to go through that routine that we've practiced and then taking it to that next, that next, uh, step with some sort of a point game. Um, and then ultimately a more competitive situation. Um, but again, being, purposeful and deliberate in terms of having specific goals ahead of time so that they know, okay, we're, why are we working on this routine? Um, what's what's the reason behind it? And uh, how are we going to actually utilize this when we're in a competitive situation? Um, when, when are we going to use certain types of routines, such as our, our normal uh, green light routine or the the routine that we're going to use in between most both most points, or when we're going to use that yellow light routine, or maybe even a red light routine if we're really in trouble. But um having you know having that communication ahead of time. And, and as you mentioned, I like that you mentioned the feedback piece, which is you know another piece of the communication, but is critical for um really understanding um if 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 something is being done in in the correct way. I find a lot of players aren't necessarily aware um, even as some something like their swing, if they're, you know, necessarily finishing their swing or if they're um, making the adjustments um, in terms of their, their, the physical action, um, the, the, people aren't always as aware um, and unless they have some sort of feedback, whether that's um, the input of a coach, maybe that could be video, um, maybe that could be another person who's watching and relaying that uh, feedback back to the person. But um, the, the, the communication piece and particularly feedback within that is, is critical.
1: And, or it could even be, let's say you're working on your serve and you're trying to improve your second serve on the ad side and you're trying to get it to, toward the sideline you could literally just set up like with some yellow lines or something, a zone that you're trying to get it into, right? And the feedback is whether it got in the box or not. Now you may not be getting feedback on the technique or other aspects of things, but you just making your own adjustments, as you see the ball land in different places, that can be, you know, uh, a bit of necessary feedback for you right there. So, so that's pretty much like think step one, right? Is we want to make sure we're setting some goals for the day Um, we want, when we're out there, we want to focus on them. We may need to remind ourselves of them as we're doing that, because I think the first time we do this, you're probably going to space out a little bit on it. And so you may need some reminders to get back, whether that's your coach or you looking at your goals. But now let's talk about how we can incorporate into those focus goals, those two or three goals, some of the really basic necessary mental skills. So I'm thinking, when I first start working with a player, really the first three things we start talking about are breathing, your body language, and how you're talking to yourself. And, and very often, the key is not necessarily doing those things great, but simply becoming more aware of them. Because I think when we, when we think about those three items, it's almost like they're so basic. We take them for granted. We almost feel as if they run on autopilot. In many ways, they can. Um, but if we can learn to become more aware and take more control of that, um, you know, these can actually be some great mental skills that you make as part of your purposeful practice.
0: I, I, absolutely um, and I, I like that you you mentioned uh, I, I mean I, all, all three of those are things that we that we do I mean from the time that we're young children um, and people have been uh, doing the same most of the time people have been doing you know their breathing or talking to themselves um, or their body language as you mentioned in that same way over and over and over again and until they until some sort of awareness um, is put on these things they, they generally keep continue to repeat these cycles. So, um, no, I, 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 think that's, that, that's a good point. And I would also add that, um, for, for, let's say for breathing, um, if to, to actually be able to see what you're doing, to, to see it on video and see, okay, I, I, I looked really tense there in that particular moment, it would have been a good time to go through some of that breathing. Um, Or um, again, to have that feedback of a coach or, um, you know, even to, um, you know, to think about specific moments in a match or in practice that um, that can be implemented.
1: Yeah. And so let's talk about how one could work this in. now. Sure. Into practice. Because right? you and I have had this discussion offline about you know, what are some really good ways of progressing through this so that um, players can build some more awareness in you know, more or less low pressure, low complex ways, right? And so I think um, depending on the situation, many of us do warm up with mini tennis, Yep. Um, you know, whether that's a clinic that you're doing, um, maybe hitting with a friend,
0: probably
1: not so much um, before a match. I don't see that as much. I will see that on occasion. Some people starting off with mini tennis, but not, not as much. Um, but mini tennis, I like is a good place to begin, at least for the breathing and the body language or bringing some energy to the court, to focus on uh, those skills during mini tennis because mini tennis is, the tennis itself is not hard. Uh, at least for most of us. I mean, if, if you're a beginner player, um, then mini tennis probably is hard. You're still figuring things out. Um, so you know, adding breathing and body language and energy onto that may be a bit daunting. But if you're not a beginner and you are comfortable hitting the ball, then mini tennis is probably quite easy and you don't even really need to think so much about the tennis. So it could be a good moment to bring awareness now to all right, let me see if I can breathe and, 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 and release some tension. Let me see if I can bounce a little bit more here, have really good footwork, project an air of confidence. Um, you know, and then you can kind of build some complexity on, on from that point.
0: Yes, yes. No, that's, I, I think, uh, you know, as you said, with, with most players, they've warmed up using mini tennis time and time again. Um, and most players, I would say, are on autopilot oftentimes when they're, when they're doing mini tennis, because they can make, you know, 90% of their, of their shots in that stage. Um, so adding a mental skill that's, that's new, or at least doing it in an intentional, deliberate way, um, during that stage can be really helpful rather than, okay, let's, let's do it. We're going to be playing uh, a game up to 21 points here, um, with that focus on, breathing where, okay, if you're, as soon as that competitive element starts, the focus is more, goes to, okay, I want to win this game. Um, so it's tough to do both at the same time, unless that skill has really been ingrained from that, that basic stage.
1: Yeah. And I think if we are able to, you know, incorporate this more into your mini tennis, you probably have seen this as a college coach. A lot of players in, while well, they're doing mini tennis. there's no full work. They're just you know, using their hands and it's almost like there's no real point to it. Like, okay, if you're going to do mini tennis that way, don't even bother. Just go right. back to the baseline and start hitting shots. Um, but then if you can you know, bring more into it now, all right, we're bringing more purpose to it. Because I find that if we're able to bring the breathing in, bring good body language, focus on being loose, you start to get your body into a nice place. In terms of feeling good it will help you get more into a rhythm by focusing on those items in mini tennis and then as you begin to back up um and you can continue to focus on these things you do start to develop a nice rhythm in your game
0: yeah yeah absolutely um i mean you you definitely will feel um you could think of it as, you know, some, some sort of, I don't want to use the word Zen, but you know, feel, mm-hmm. feel more in line with, with your body. Um, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I, not, not only are, are people sometimes going through autopilot in sort of those um, initial stages of the warm up in terms of mini tennis, but I think sometimes people will go back to the baseline and there's not that necessary intention on, okay, what are we trying to do here? Whether it's during the, um, practice in terms of that, the warmup or, or even, Part of the the dynamic warm up leading up to practice. Um, sometimes I'll see with kids they're almost racing uh, as they're doing the dynamic warm up. Really, rather than being purposeful and okay, why are we doing each of these stretches? Are we really trying to get the most out of each stretch? Uh, sometimes I see that you know people are trying to just win the race or be be the fastest one. Um, so I, I I would agree that by slowing things down and making sure that each step of that warm up or part of that Um, you know, that those first few minutes of practice, which often is mini tennis is deliberate and especially incorporating breathing and especially making sure we're moving our feet. And some of these things that may seem like minor details um, is going to set us up for having a better practice and is going to give us the best possible chance to get 1% better or to achieve whatever those goals are that we have for ourselves or for that player um, on that given day.
1: Yeah. I think, I probably should have mentioned
0: this earlier, but I think actually another good goal
1: to focus on in mini tennis is watching the ball. Yes. We've talked many times about you know, bounce hit or seeing the spin of the ball. This is a great opportunity for you to get your eyes warmed up. You know, Mini tennis is a great time to do bounce hit. It's nice and slow, nice and controlled. Um, and then something I like to try to do in mini tennis, I'll see what you think of this, is I try to hit every shot to the center line. Like I try to actually hit the center line. So I'm giving, not only not only am I doing all those other things, but I'm also now hitting with a little bit more purpose and control.
0: What do you think? Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's good. I think that will give you more intention. Um, and I think, just by just by doing that you're going to um yeah you're going to be able to control the ball better maybe you can be a little bit more intentional about your spin rather than just trying to you know get the ball over the net any any which way you have that that clear focus and um that's going to lead to not only more control during the mini tennis stage but as you move it back into rallying and then ultimately into points um should hopefully lead to more um Consistency and control. And I, th- I think that that all does start with watching the ball, which is a, uh, is it unfortunately often neglected thing because it seems so basic. It's, you know, when talking to a player, and I have this conversation regularly, um, you know, watching the ball seems like, the most elementary thing of of course I'm watching the ball. How would, how else would I be hitting it? But often it's, it couldn't be more common for players to take their eye off it. Where if you watch somebody like Roger Federer and you see pictures of him where his, his, his head is still um, down on where he made contact with the ball, even after, after he finished that portion of the swing, um, it it emphasizes how important that, that uh, watching the ball is. And, I I constantly see that when players really make that conscious effort to watch the ball through that point of contact. And again, things like bounce hit really make a, make a huge difference here. Um, or I, I think we've talked a little bit about, about gaze control. Um, I know you've, uh, worked with, with players on that, Brian. Um, but, you know, starting with things like watching the ball or be, you know, moving our feet or being intentional about the control and really where we're aiming um, is going to lead to greater dividends through the rest of practice. And um, that is going to just starting with intention. Those first few minutes is going to lead to a definitely a higher quality practice.
1: Yeah. Cut down on errors. You know, when we talked to coach Bill, Tim, and about his corrective methodology, you know, watching the ball was the first question, you know, after you make an error, did you make solid contact with the ball? Yep. And if the answer is no, the, the the correction is watch the ball and emphasize your follow through. And that probably takes care of a large percentage of our unforced errors. Because even, you know, hitting it late is really probably not making solid contact with the ball. And And so, um, yeah, by bringing these, like, little, very basic skills to the beginning of our practice, you're warming them up now for when you do move back to the baseline and you start to do more complicated things with your game that, you know, will need more of your attention. Um, You know, and so I think, you know, if if we were to design a practice, right, we could start off with this mini tennis piece. And maybe move back to a a 60-foot line if they have it um, um, or halfway between the surface line and the baseline and then back to the baseline and start to – so what's happening in that progression is the tennis is becoming a little bit more complex, right, because we're adding distance between the players. Um, But we're still trying to maintain that focus on the basics, breathing body language, watching the ball, feeling loose. Doing all of that really will set you up to feel, like you said earlier, maybe not quite a zen moment, but will feel like kind of in sync, a little bit more aligned. We'll feel like that ball is really – like our racket head is really flowing through that ball, accelerating through it. And to me, that's like the point of the warm-up is to get to that place. And and maybe that's something we need to share with the the – the audience is. What is the point of the warm-up, Josh?
0: Yeah, I, I think you're you're hitting on a good point that we're we're trying to find that rhythm. We're trying to feel our strokes. Um, I, I think if we're in a competitive situation, you know, we we want to be aware of, of that other player. Uh, our opponent as well, but certainly during, during training, it's, yeah, it's, we want to be feeling our strokes. We want to be, you know, figuring out the the timing of the court. Is this a faster surface or slower surface? Um, but yeah, we want to be aware of the, the follow-through of our strokes. Or we, if there's a certain um, change or adjustment that we've made to our stroke recently, we want to be aware of whether or not we're doing that on a regular basis um, and really making sure that we're going through um, and making that that change or adjustment to our stroke each time um, but yeah definitely trying to find rhythm definitely trying to you know watch the ball and, and start to feel the ball during those those first few minutes of the warm up
1: yeah cuz i i guess the reason i bring that up is i've heard many players sort of after match tell me well i didn't have a very good warm up and and then that how ha- somehow is a reason for not playing well sure and um, and I think it, very often the, the players who say such things don't necessarily know what the real goal of the warm-up is. Like, you know, I think you just stated it extremely well, is what we're, where we're trying to get to. But how many players are actually trying to, that they're judging their warm-up on something else? Like, oh, they made mistakes, or my warm-up wasn't perfect, or well, I was missing that shot in the warm-up. Um, that's the place you want to miss shots. That's the whole idea, right? You don't expect to be perfect in the warm-up and the idea is, all right, you know, hit your shots, make the mistakes, but then slowly make adjustments so that you, by the end, you feel in a good place and the the shot is operating and and working the way you want to. Um, So I think it's very important to not be judgmental about how we're performing in the warm-up and to understand its purpose.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I guess as we transition to, you know, to other, other stages of practice, um, and I know I have some thoughts on this, both from my own experiences, um, as well as, uh, my, my research and, and my dissertation, um, into mental toughness in, in tennis and college tennis. Um, but I, I know when we were talking off air about, um, adding pressure to practice to yeah. try to simulate you know simulate match situations um what are some things that that either you've done or you've seen that has uh been helpful to to add pressure to to practice situations and, and simulate what players will experience in a match
1: um i think we can generically come up with a bunch of situations that most players struggle with right so we've both been college coaches so one that you'll hear all the time is, is the approach to deuce points. Yep. And so, with no
0: ad. yeah,
1: exactly. You know, and so that's both on the men's and the women's side. Um, we're seeing also more of that with UTR events. We're seeing more of that, even in USTA events in which they are trying to get through many matches in a short amount of time. Um, so I would say, you know, the no ad point is starting to become more and more prevalent and so, we want to make sure that we are practicing that, that we have a play for that, that we also have a mentality for that. Um, because probably everybody listening to this has lost some deuce points and has had a match. Well, I lost all the deuce points, or I lost most of the deuce points. And um, then that thought pattern can recur in later matches and therefore it leads to probably less success here than normal, right? So, I think working on deuce points is something that has been successful um, a drill I really like to do is um, called first to 30 and the, the the rationale behind it is that the player who gets to 30 first in a game right basically wins the you know the first two out of three points that player statistically wins that game about 80% of the time. So the game, by playing first to 30, we're putting a lot of emphasis on those first few points in a game. And you can play a two out of three set match with that scoring format in about 45 minutes. So you get a lot of, a lot of play there. And what I like about that is it gets players, you know, especially when they're serving, to really pay attention to those first couple of points of their service game. Um, now when you're serving, uh, this is especially true in men's tennis, um, you're more likely to win the game. And you know, the probability of winning the game like when you're up 15 love or 30 love is very, very high. And so we're really taking advantage of that is we want to get off to those good starts in game. So that's, that's one game that I really, um, have liked doing. And you get, uh, like I said, you can get a two out of three set match done in 45 minutes or less.
0: That's great. No, I think, I think our, our listeners will will definitely, should should definitely, um, practice that. Um, because as as you said, if you're, if in a real match, you're going to win, 80% of the time when you get to 30 all shouldn't we be or or sorry, when you get when you're when you reach 30 first, shouldn't we be practicing getting to 30 and have that as a skill that we're practicing regularly. I think practicing deuce points um, as you said, whether it's in a no ad or an ad situation um, practicing break points as well um, doing dice breakers which some of our uh, listeners may be familiar with where you actually um, you can actually roll dice or you can sort of simulate it but um, putting players in a situation where it's sort of random what the, the score is going into the tie break so one player typically has this the pressure of having to close out, um, the tiebreak because they're ahead and the other player is sort of fighting back and trying to claw back into the tiebreaker. Um, maybe you roll the dice and it's six, two to start and you're going up to seven does um, and is one player has the, uh, you know, four, four set points or um, simulating that experience of having those set points and trying to close it out where the other player is in the opposite situation. Um, but actually from my from my dissertation, um, where I interviewed 11, uh, college coaches, uh, this was actually the biggest theme that came up that, uh, we want that in order to build mental toughness, we, uh, coaches ought to find ways to, uh, increase pressure and to simulate match environments. Because if we're practicing in sort of a loose way and sort of this, um, you know, anything goes type of way. And then all of a sudden players are in stressful, high pressure situations on match day, then they won't be ready for it. And unless they've really gone about the process of learning, you know, learning how to play in these types of situations and practicing them. Um, and I, I think, you know, there, there's there's no, no way to be 100% in terms of really simulating everything that's going on in a match in terms of the fans, in terms of that extra bit of pressure, in terms of um, the the incentives of winning and losing. Um, but there's there's a lot that can be done in terms of, okay, can we actually add an incentive here? Um, and I think there is creative things that um, players can do to, ha- to have some incentives with other players or coaches can do as well. Um, but to try to do whatever we can to simulate, um, to simulate pressure and simulate a match on the practice court, I think is going to, to serve players best.
1: Yeah. And, you know, not only incentives, there could be some consequences. We don't want uh, to, you know, probably be careful about some of that with respect to punishments or whatever, but you know, we, we do because, you know, real match, we often feel more like we have something to lose. And so we want to try to recreate some of that. Um, You know, other types of things that these, these can be done more maybe in team environments, but, um, giving players the option to say cheat once in a set so that the other player has to learn how to deal with that. Um, those types of things. I know we at, uh, when I was at Bryant, we did some things with, um, having guys cheer for one player versus another. So to create some, you know, crowd type of, um, some pressure there as well so yeah you can get creative and, and try to build in these these things you know because as you said um this is what successful college coaches have done this is how they've built mental toughness in their players and if you look at maybe the opposite of what those guys have done you know what would the opposite be it would be strictly doing drilling um you know maybe sorry right, we're having players hit cross courts and down the lines we're, Working on our volleys from a stationary position, um, just taking overheads, hitting serves, and, and never really introducing, you know, and that, that's what we would call maybe more blocked practice, but never introducing the variability that one needs in a match situation. And so while block practice has some purpose to it, it's not like we should never do those types of activities. But variable practice, bringing all of these things in where you have to use all of those skills together to create points, pushes learning and improvement much more so than you just working on these things in isolation. So I think that's another reason that we want to start building in not only these types of pressure training pieces, but simply playing more matches and playing them for real, right? Right. with the right attitude, playing them with the same routines we'd like to use in competition, um, which means changeovers. So you know, let's sit down on the changeovers and take some of that stuff seriously. Do what we would do in a in a normal match, and that, that I think can be a struggle for for a lot of players is to 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 take that practice match um, with their friend or their teammate that seriously, um, but to be, if you're going to really improve your game, that's what you, I think you need to do.
0: I, I would agree. And I think you've made um, an important point. Maybe, maybe it was in our, our conversations, but what, what really we're practicing here is, is competing and that skill of be, of competing and of being a great competitor. Um, I think sometimes with, with teams, it can get a little bit tricky in that a lot of the players are very close Um, their friends or maybe their roommates um, or maybe there's some personal dynamics between players. There, there generally is, um, but it doesn't need to get, it doesn't need to be about um, one player beating the other player. It can be, if, if this is practice time and we're a team, let's both practice the skill of training for match day of competing, of being, of doing everything that's going to make me the best possible competitor when we're not on the practice court when all of a sudden the match is on the line, when all of a sudden we're playing for our team.
1: Yeah, I think that that's an important point. I think the other thing with teams, and we've, since we've both worked with colleges, we've seen this, very often they feel they're being judged about what position they might be in in the lineup or whether they're in the lineup or not. And so I think as coaches, it behooves us to make sure that we're setting the right context for why we're playing matches, um, that, you know, maybe some matches we do want to count for, you know, we're thinking about the lineup, but for a lot of the other ones, it should be, no, we're just practicing competing so that we can, you know, play this team coming up much better. Um, I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I've worked with some volleyball, college volleyball teams in, in the past and, um, I would go to their games and I would see that a lot of times at the end of sets, the quality of play would disintegrate. Not, you know, not just one team, both teams often would have that problem. And then I'd go to practice and I remember going to practice, you know, a few days, uh, a week for this one team and, uh, I decided to approach the coach that next week and I say, yeah, I noticed some, you guys never play any sets and, the biggest problem the team has is like when it gets to 18 all, they don't seem to know what to do. So when are you practicing that? And uh, it, it took a while for the coach to get her head around that. Um, but eventually she she understood that a big part of being a great volleyball team, as well as being a great tennis player, is learning to navigate the journey and it will Bring it back to tennis from zero to six. How, you know, and there's a lot of situations that can pop up on that journey that you need to practice being in, need to have the right mindset, need to know how to use your mental tools, breathing and body language, watching the ball, having the right mindset. And if you're never You know, practicing that journey from zero to six, it's going to be very difficult for you to be successful when it really matters, right? And so by doing this pressure training, this simulation, practicing stressful situations, practicing more matches, it begins to feel more and more normal. You know, so it's almost like you're developing this self-belief and self-efficacy of like, oh, it's not like I've never been down a set and a break before. Yeah, come back before from from that. Whereas, if you've never really experienced that, kind of freaking out. I don't know what to do in this situation because I've now I'm rarely here. I've never overcome that situation.
0: And you see, I think you see this with players who um, have had an extended period of time off. Maybe yeah. a player um, took time off for a, period, for a reason or had an injury, and then all of a sudden maybe they you you hear this, oh, I, I don't feel match tough right now, um, where that, that skill of competing has actually gotten a little bit rusty, where, okay, I haven't just haven't been in this situation for a while. Um you see somebody like Andy Murray who uh, had significant injury, took some time away from the game. And uh, you know, as he comes back, maybe um, you you can see some of those, those nerves a little bit more in those, some of those uh, bigger moments. Uh, And it really is a skill. uh, I, I think, to some of the conversations I've had with junior players um, where we, we host, um, you know, an in-club tournament. um, But some of some players who haven't played in the USTA tournaments, um, you know, getting, starting to get that process started of playing tournaments and of um, recognizing the need to, to play more match play so that you can best prepare yourself for some of these situations that are inevitable as you're playing in a tournament. Okay. Closing out a set or, being down a break. Um, and if you, if you've had this situation of being in that, um, being in that position before and okay, what did I do last time I was down a break that was successful for turning the tide and, uh, ultimately winning that set. Okay. I changed up my tactics slightly. Um, okay. I was, uh, playing poorly in the beginning of the set last time but I really doubled down on um, trying to identify what what I was doing wrong or just not letting negativity take over my game in that moment. Okay, I remember I did that last time, and that that helped me. Okay, I'm, that's going to be my game plan. That's going to be what I try to do this time around. I'm in that same situation. So, um, yeah, ma- match play and putting ourselves in these higher pressure situations on the practice court is ultimately going to serve us best um, and is ultimately going to help us as a competitor and to become a more complete uh, tennis player.
1: And I think, you know, let's look at a situation like that where we're, you know, we're, we're say we're down a break. We can be using some of the things that we're doing off the court, meaning like if you and I were working together, Josh, we might come up with a plan for being down a break. Um, I read an article the other day that was on LinkedIn about pre or So it's like resilience, but it's with a pre in front of it. And the idea is to be um, trying to understand some of the situations, some of the things that could go wrong so that ahead of time, we have a plan for it. And so we could work on, okay, what do we want our thinking to be in that moment? What do we want our emotions to be? What do we need to focus on in that situation uh, so that we can perform better, you know, get, get the break back. Um, So when we go then and play a match and the situation happens, now it's an opportunity for you to practice your, your plan, right? You, you understood that this could happen. Now we practice it and we see how it goes. And then we can make adjustments based on that. And so that's actually I think a good activity that's sort of off court but then needs practice on the court is think about a lot of the things that could go wrong in a match or um even just the the stressful situations. work through those on paper in terms of how you'd like to, your attitude to be how you you know what emotions you would like to experience here what you would ultimately like to focus on um and then go out and make that part of your your practice um and I think because not everybody may have necessarily come back from a breakdown. But if we have a plan that, you know, they could work on with someone like me or you, then you at least have something to try. Then we can probably build some, you know, some confidence around, okay, what worked there? What didn't work? Okay, let's let's shift your plan a little bit and, and go from there.
0: And that situation may not seem as daunting Correct. if you have that plan uh, in your back pocket.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know,
0: trying to work all
1: these things together into how do you how do you actually get them onto the court because a lot of the mental training certainly is off the court but we want to make sure we're using these tools um when we're actually out there competing
0: absolutely absolutely
1: so is there any last things josh that we should bring up with respect to mental skills in practice
0: um not, nothing particular. I mean, I think, um, you know, our, our listeners can can think about uh, a lot of these things the next time they're on court and trying to be purposeful about, you know, as a specific goal for that day, um, trying to, you know, simulate simulate match situations as much as possible, thinking about maybe playing more matches to just simply get those reps in of those situations that are undoubtedly um, going to occur when you get out there. Um And then, you know, having the right, that right mentality that we've talked about in the past that, Hey, everything, everything is practice. This is all um, just about me becoming a better competitor, getting a little bit closer to, um, you know, where, where I want to ultimately be that 1%, 1% better every time I'm out there.
1: I think that's a great summary to, to our conversation today. So thank you, Josh. And, and thank you everyone for listening Uh, for more on today's show. Please check out our show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, which includes YouTube, so that you can be notified of new episodes. We're also putting up notifications on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.